underway here on ESPN. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebastian Salazar for episode 321 of the show. Herc, how was your weekend? I see production has taken the opportunity to remind me that this weekend I saw my beloved Buffalo Bills lose. Yeah. Thanks, guys. So that's a Cruz Azul jersey underneath that Buffalo Bills jacket. It all makes sense now. It all makes sense now because Cruz Azul historically has been like the Buffalo Bills of Liga Yankees. I was going to say, you know, there are a few fan bases that know suffering quite like Buffalo Bills fans. Cruz Azul is, is a great one, though. They ha- at least now they have their title. Um, a Buffalo man? I don't know if it's ever going to happen. Next year. The, what's the motto? Next year? Yes, there's always next year. Always People want to know why I'm the way that I am. It's because I support the Mexican national team and the Buffalo Bills. Can you imagine oh, the, come on. That's the frustration? A, and it was a kicker, too. Ah, it, was a, out. it was wide right. It was wide right. All right, enough American football uh, on this edition of Football Americas. Funny enough, coming up on this show, we got Sam Mewis, just retired uh, from her illustrious career in both the NWSL and with the U.S. Women's National Team. We'll talk to her about her career, but also about what's coming up next. We got Lionel Messi in action tonight. In Dallas, but also last Friday in El Salvador. So we'll talk about both those games for Inter-Miami. Plus some big debuts down in Liga MX. But let's start, Herc, in San Antonio. Because that's where the U.S. men's national team was kicking off 2024. Friendly against Slovenia at Toyota Field, home of San Antonio FC. Where they actually set an attendance record. Over 9,000 in attendance. 26 minutes into this one, U.S. with a turnover and it leads to trouble. Ernie gives it up. And uh, Gradisar of Slovenia going to finish to make it 1-0. Yeah, you can't give up the ball in that space. Uh, Over eager. The center back's trying to press. It gets him behind. It's a nice little finish. Maybe Patrick Schulte could have made himself a little bit bigger here. I'm not going to put it on him. It's a good goal by Slovenia. 11 U.S. players making their senior national team debut, and it showed there were some highlights. 30th minute, nice build up here. Big stop from the Slovenian goalie. Yeah, I like this from Camungo. Okay, you know, he's at fault for the goal against. Gets himself in a good position. See if he can score a goal. It's right at the goal here, but he's there. Diego Luna orchestrating that as well. First half stoppage time. USA set piece, Miles Robinson. Should have done more. Yeah, should have done more. It was actually the last play of the, of the half. Uh, gets a good look, just a little bit behind him. Doesn't catch it on the way up. U.S. still losing in the 75th minute. Almost going down two here, but Patrick Schulte with the big save. Yeah, big save, smart save. He's on his post, can't get beat from there. He does a good job. If you were looking for a highlight, it came late in the game, and it came from this young man, Esmir Bayrakterovic, a homegrown with the New England Revolution, missing from close range there. Got a sneaky good left foot. Yeah, Bayrakterovic. Well, let's just go Esmir. Very good 1v1 player. Look at that. In between players. Going to find somebody right there. Nope. Rebound, and it is Tolkien. Why didn't he go right foot? Go with the right foot, John. Tolkien missing there in the 81st minute. Bayrakterovic. Driving at the Slovenian defense, part of the setup. He'd be involved again here, picking out the Juan Jones. Jones slides it across. Tolkien again hurt. Yeah, I think he probably should have gone right foot again. Goes left foot, goes in step, and just goes wide. Let's hear from Greg Berhalter, post game. I think this is a great opportunity to learn. And, you know, if you think about 11 guys got their debut tonight. Um, you know, five of the guys who started are Olympic age eligible. So this is going to be a great learning experience for this group. And, um, you know, really happy with the opportunity to do this camp and think, think we definitely got something out of it. Uh, can you speak more about Esmir and Diego's 
talent and performance about their skill sets and how they fit into the player pool? Um, you know, it's both have a lot of individual quality, both have the ability to combine, to dribble, take players 1v1. And if you think about in world soccer right now, it's, it's very difficult um, to find 1v1 players. So it's nice when you see that type of quality. And what we're trying, what we do as coaches is encourage that. Um, all week, we've, we've asked them to take players on and be aggressive combining and, and getting in the penalty box. So, you know, happy with their performance. Overall, um, you know, when I'm looking at the stats, it, it's a performance that was, I think was good enough to get something out of the game. All right, there we have it, Herc. Never know who you're going to get a question from in a Greg Berhalter press conference. The big number, again, is 11. That's the number of players that made their first appearance for the senior team. It's a record the most uh, since 1988. So uh, quite a bit of new faces on the field in San Antonio on Saturday. Herc, we heard Greg Berhalter talking there about what we learned. What do you think we learned Saturday at the end of Camp Cupcake? That camp cupcake, that January camp is unnecessary. The only reason you have it today, and Casey mentioned it last week when we did this, is because contractually you have to have it. There are certain games you have to have for the networks. There are certain games in the calendar year, calendar year that you have to have. And, of course, you can't get the A guys. You can't get the A team. You can't get the European players if it's not a FIFA fixture date. So games like this will happen. It cheapens the crest. It cheapens what it means to play for the U.S. men's national team. Listen, we saw the stat. It's the second most since 1988 versus Guatemala, January 1988. I'm sure January camp was needed in 1988. There was a justification of having that camp in 1988. You can make the case here, Seb, and say Olympic eligible players. It's more Olympic development and you're going down that route, fine, fair, then call it a U23 camp. Mm. When you say it's U.S. men's national team, I think it cheapens what it means to wear the crest. Now, that's not on these players. It's not on Greg Berhalter. This is a federation issue. These players, if you're uh, a Diego Luna, this means something to you. If you're an Esmir, this means something to you. If you're, a, if you're any other player, this means something for you and you should take advantage of the opportunity that's been handed to you because this is an MLS combine. It's pretty much a thank you for doing well in Major League Soccer or, or for striking the coach's fancy while in Major League Soccer. Here's your bone type of deal. But what we learned from this, it's no longer needed. Yeah. So if you look at the U.S. roster, Herc, it was all MLS guys. If you look at the Slovenian roster, it was mostly domestic players. Not all. I think there was a mix of a few other leagues. I think they had a few guys in Denmark. But it was not the Slovenian A team, right? No. They basically did the same thing with their roster, their talent pool that the U.S. did. Uh, because, again, it's a non-FIFA date, so you don't have access to anybody. So if we're not going to say, like, oh, it's, it's a reflection, it's a bad reflection on these players, or it's a, a bad reflection on the manager, is it a bad reflection on Major League Soccer? Like, should a group of MLS players, of selected MLS players, been able to do more against Slovenia's reserves? Let me, let me just really quick. Not a group of MLS players. A group of individually selected American MLS players. Mm -hmm. Listen, um, the best players in Major League Soccer are not American. 
That's a reality. The stars in Major League Soccer are not American. The majority of them, anyways. Uh, and I believe there was a stat that only one player from Slovenia was actually on the roster when they qualified for this summer's Euros. So it was a completely different team. Some would argue B or C, Slovenian national team, whatever the case may be. Uh, they won the game. Mm-hmm. They didn't necessarily play better than the U.S. men's national team, but they won the game. And it's so difficult, and you can make the same case for Slovenia. I'm not trying to make excuses for the U.S. men's national team or this version of the U.S. men's national mm-hmm. team because it's the same thing for Slovenia. you get got a group of guys who have never played together in a different environment with different ideas, and you try to put them together in this makeshift type of game and get something out of it. They ended up winning. I, I believe the U.S. men's national team had something like over 60% possession. Uh, it was pretty even. I will say had they had more chances, even though I felt for them – more unnerved when Slovenia was attacking in transition through their own mistakes, through the U.S. men's national team's own mistakes, where they would cough up the ball, precarious positions, and they would almost get punished. They got punished once, and that was enough. Um, I don't know if it's a bad reflection. It is what it is. If you picked an MLS all-star team versus a Slovenian all-star team of their domestic league, it may be different. Uh, The best players in MLS aren't American. What I will say, let, let me just, what I did like, this was a sellout. It wasn't a sellout in L.A. because we've seen January camp in L.A. It doesn't draw well. We've seen January camp elsewhere in Florida. It doesn't draw well. It was a sellout in a USL stadium, a very beautiful USL stadium. I've been to that stadium in San Antonio, a USL market. Your job, U.S. soccer, is to grow the game. This is growing the game that I liked. You just didn't like the fact that it was, I don't even know if we would call this a B team or a C team. You just didn't like the fact that they're, they're, and I think that's the point. I'm watching this game on Saturday, Herc, and I'm like, how are we supposed to analyze this? Yeah. Because U.S. soccer is telling us it's the senior team, right? They're putting it on television like it's the senior team. They're charging ticket prices, maybe not in a big stadium, but they're charging tickets like it's the senior team. Uh, and yet there's kind of this understanding, well, but everybody knows they're just Olympic kids. Everybody knows it's not the senior team. So if we lose to Slovenia, we, we're not really going to analyze them too harshly. I guess that's fair as far as the individual players, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a bad loss for Greg Berhalter. It's not an important loss for Greg Berhalter, but it's his team, right? It's the guys that he's picked. And it's honestly... A, a situation, Herc, where we usually kind of give the benefit of the doubt. We say, oh, you only had three days to work with your guys. He had two weeks to work with this team. He picks the lineup. He runs the in-game management, um, and they still lose. So as a fan, you're not coming out of this saying, oh, okay, I feel any better about my manager and his ability to manage in-game. And the, and the big part of this, Herc, what we're being sold is that this is about the Olympics, right? That this is preparation for the Olympics. What I don't understand there is, if this is preparation for the Olympics, what the hell is Greg Berhalter doing on the sidelines? He, we've been told he's not the guy that's going to be managing the Olympics. It's going to be Mitrovic, right, who they just brought in. They raised him up from the under-19s to the under-23s. He should be managing. It should be all Olympic guys playing if this is truly about developing for the Olympic Games. Why do you have a Miles Robinson? Why do you have a Dewan Jones? And again, why do you have the guy who's not actually going to be managing the Olympic team doing it on the sideline in San Antonio if that's the goal of the January camp. Because then you can't charge what you charge for this type of game. Because then you'd have to call it a U23 game. And if it's a U23 game, then HBO Max, then Telemundo or Peacock, it's not in the contract. Mm. And they want their games. So you hide it behind the crest. You literally hide it behind the crest. And again, 
to no fault of these players. If you're Camungo, if you're Diego Luna, if you're Atencio, if you're any of these players that gets a sniff with this U.S. men's national team, you try to grab a hold of it and run with it, regardless of who is next to you. Regardless if it's fair, regardless if you like it, Sebi Salazar likes it, Hercules Gomez likes it, or anybody else likes it, you should not care. You should give two emojis, okay? <laughs> Which emojis? Well, Which emojis? brown emojis. Yes. But what I'm trying to tell you is, from a federation standpoint, mm -hmm. um, it cheapens the brand. It, it, it's, it, I've said this so many times, and this goes... I've said it about the Mexican national team as well. I'll start with the Mexican national team. It's so easy to get a call-up nowadays. You don't even need to succeed in the league. You barely need to succeed within your team. You just need to show flashes of brilliance and be of a certain age or of a certain circumstance, and you get handed a cap. Not, it's not on these players, but that's just the reality of today. There we have it. So the uh, U.S. losing to Slovenia to wrap up. Camp Cupcake uh, won nothing, the final score in San Antonio on Sunday. Let's run it back, check in on the Americans abroad because they had quite a productive weekend. We'll start in the championship. Josh Sargent, another goal. This one, the game winner for Norwich City as they won 2-0 over West Brom on Saturday. All right, hear me out for a second, okay? They're sitting eighth right now, okay? They're currently fourth, four points behind West Brom, who's in fifth. A seriously healthy Josh Sargent is a great playoff push, and I think this team makes it. I'm just saying, they can make playoffs. Second goal of the calendar year, fifth of the season for the 23-year-old American striker. In the Bundesliga, Jordan Pifak scored for the second straight week as his Borussia Mönchengladbach lost 2-1 to Augsburg. Yeah, so he comes off the bench last week, scores a goal after months of uh, being out with a torn quad muscle, I believe it was his quad. And he gets a start in this game, back-to-back -back goals. You know Jordan Pifak. You know Jordan Pifak. That man is streaky. Heads up. Fourth Bundesliga goal of the season there. In Italy, Weston McKinney with an assist, but really hurt with a stolen goal. Dusan Vlaovic robbing one from the U.S. midfielder. That would have been the same. Vlaovic ain't going to give that up in there. I mean, what are you going to do, Sab? You ain't giving it up in there. Again, Weston McKinney proving his worth. You know what's crazy? For how Weston started not going, or initially not going to the preseason in the U.S., this man has started all but two games in Serie A. Juventus, 3-0 winners over Lecce on the day as they go top of the table. Tim Weah into that game as a sub off the bench. In the Eredivisie, Sergio Dest and PSV see their perfect league run come to an end in a 1-1 draw against Utrecht Sunday, but Dest did register an assist. Perfect league run comes to an end with a draw. How crazy is that? Peter Bosch has an absolute machine here, and Sergio Dest a big part of that. My man now, what's he at? I don't even know what the goals of the assist at, but we'll get it on Monday when the highlight here. That's his third league assist of the season, I believe. They now have a 10-point league uh, atop the air to Vizzy. In the Prem, Chris Richards was beaten twice, Herc, on corners by uh, Gabrielle as Arsenal beat Crystal Palace 5-0. All right, so when I had when I saw this in the rundown, I thought it was producer Beto trying to, you know, gloat about Arsenal, you know, getting a win. And I was like, get something done twice, come on. And then I, I see these, wow, you cannot give up your back. You cannot turn the ball. Cannot turn your back on the ball. Can't give up these type of plays. And this is actually the first game that he started as a center back, played the last seven starts as a defensive midfielder. Roy Hodgson and Crystal Palace in a world of hurt after that 5-0 loss on the weekend. Matt Turner giving up uh, a goal at the near post on a free kick to Ivan Tony. Her much has been made of this. Did Turner get cheated or did he get tricked? I, I, I just think it's a bad wall.
Who's that on? It's on turn. Well, you know what? No, this player is jumping inside too. Come on, that's a combination. Like if you're the outside player that wall, you can't duck and jump inside like that. All right, coming up on ESPN Plus this week, we got the second leg of the Carabao Cup semifinals on Wednesday between Fulham and Liverpool. Liverpool lead 2-1 after the first leg. All right, Eric, more friendlies here. Inter-Miami taking on the El Salvador national team at the Estadio Cuscatlan on Friday. El Magico Gonzalez getting a moment there with some of Inter-Miami's stars. 36th minute. Nice combo here as Messi finds Busquets back to Messi and a couple big saves from Mario Gonzalez. Yeah, Super Mario with some massive saves, a little back heel here combination play. Uh, but it's amazing what it took to, for Messi to get a shot. This is probably as good as it gets for Messi and friends in this game. Good combination play, great save. Near Miami knocking at the door there, unable to open the scoring. Few minutes later, another chance for Inter-Miami for Jordi Alba again, Gonzalez. Yeah, his touch takes him wide. A better first touch, and he's in on goal. It should be a goal. Uh, maybe a, a forward or somebody else trailing with that run. He just passes it and it's slotted in. So the Stars only got about 45 minutes. Messi, Suarez, Busquets, and Alba all coming off at the break when it was scoreless. Things would get bad in the second half for Inter-Miami. Facundo Farias goes down injured. Confirmation Monday, it's a torn ACL, Herc. Yeah, this one hurts. Facundo Farias, one of the more exciting young players that Inter-Miami has signed. He comes out injured and not, not, well, not what you want to see in preseason. El Salvador with a late chance. Steven Vasquez off the post. Inter-Miami. <laughs> lives uh, to fight another day. Game ends 0-0 in El Salvador. Meanwhile, just uh, about an hour ago, this one went final. Inter-Miami in Dallas at the Cotton Bowl taking on uh, FC Dallas Monday night. Jesus Ferreira opening the scoring three minutes in. Her. Three minutes in, Jesus Ferreira. It's a good little through ball. Great touch. Paulo Riola through ball right there. Great touch right there. Poise, strength. And then if you're the center back there, you can't let him shoot like that. that that'll be it for him right there. And uh, afterwards, not all's well in the world of Lionel Messi here. Getting into it with some of the FC Dallas players. A frustrated Lionel Messi as the Inter-Miami preseason wears on. All right, let's talk about this Facundo Farias injury, Herc. How big a blow is it to Inter-Miami's title hopes in 2024? Well, it's not a blow to the title hopes. Uh, it's not an immediate blow per se because he plays on the left-hand side as a winger. He's not going to play over Messi. And when he did play not on the left-hand side, he was playing as a second striker, not going to play over Luis Suarez. They went two strikers today versus Dallas, and it was Messi and Luis Suarez. So immediately not a massive blow. Mm. Uh, it is a massive blow to their hopes of the future, of what this player could be. It's Facundo Farias' second ACL injury opposite me. He just recovered from an ACL injury on in May. Uh, so, so they were hoping this player would become the player everybody in Argentina thought he would be, uh, potentially with Inter-Miami. We saw flashes of his brilliance last season, how explosive he could be, how goal-direct and vertical he can be. And you thought maybe a season under Messi's care, under Messi's guidance, could season him in the right direction for him to be an impact player. It's a under-22 initiative player. He's a young DP, so this one hurts. I, Ignorantly speaking, I don't know how that will work. I don't know if they can 
absolve this from the salary cap and, and get somebody else in the injured reserve. I don't know if they can do that, but certainly from a developmental standpoint, a, a tactical standpoint from Tata Martino, from Chris Henderson, from the people at Inter Miami, this is a blow. But more than anything, because this is second knee injury, serious knee injury to a young player uh, in such a short span. Two different knees, two different injuries. So this one hurts. Yeah, you mentioned he is U-22 initiative. He also eats up an international spot on that roster. So it'll be interesting to see what Inter-Miami can do there. We used to say ACL was like end of a season, right? At this point, it's February. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's a chance that he could come back late in the year. You just have to doubt what, what player would he be, right? Like, where would he be? How, how quickly could he fit in? How really would he make a difference? Herc, I think this is a big deal to Inter-Miami because when we think about how they're going to be built and what kind of league this is, and if we go back to some of the comments we heard from Sergio Busquets and some of the concerns we had last year, it is on the defensive side of the ball. And that's not always, because I know Facundo Farias is an attacking player, that's not always just down to the guys in the back four um, or the back three. There's a total effort to defending. And when you've got a guy like Luis Suarez, who's not going to cover a lot of ground, and Lionel Messi, who's not going to cover a lot of ground, and Sergio Busquets, who's not going to cover a lot of ground, you need guys who are going to cover ground. And this was a young attacking player who was going to cover a lot of ground. I don't know that I'm going to sit here and say it's a big blow to what the expectation should be about in Miami because you've got all those stars and this is not, you're not losing a Messi right. or a Suarez or an Alba or a Busquets. But uh, this is a significant issue for Tata Martino. This is not a player that I think they were looking at, oh, we can lose and, and we'll just figure this out. I think this is a major piece for Inter-Miami. And whatever titles they are going to win, if they do go out and win it without this guy, uh, it's going to be a lot tougher. It's going to be a lot tougher. And if I'm Tata Martino, if I'm Chris Henderson and the powers that be at Inter-Miami, I just saw a player go down with a major knee injury in game number one mm. of a preseason tour that's going to go over 20,000 miles around the globe like that's gonna freak me out mm. the very first game somebody goes down and that has nothing to do with fatigue that has nothing to do with 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 uh with how their body's been in the trip it, it was a freak accident now my nerves are on edge for what can come in this 20,000 mile uh trip or preseason tour well let's be fair when we first saw that schedule herc we said they're already going to be asking a lot of these guys just from the MLS and Leagues Cup and Copa yeah, America and all that stuff. But we're talking about the older guys. Right. All right. But when you add this preseason, we said, all right, they're really stretching. Now, when I first saw about this injury, I thought, oh, we can hammer into Miami here. You know, we can really get after them. And then you know what changed my mind? The images that I'm glad we got in the highlight of what it meant in El Salvador for Lionel Messi and company to make this trip. You saw Magico Gonzalez there, icon of Salvadoran soccer. Like... Those were very cool images, and we always talk about some of this being a cash grab. Inter-Miami could have gone a lot of places and probably maximized their dollar more than El Salvador. I'm glad they went there, and you see the power of, of this brand and this player and what he can do, not just for Inter-Miami, but I think for American soccer going down you, there. You're trying to tell me this wasn't a cash grab? No, it, no, I think it was a cash grab, but I think there's places they could, if they were only focused on money in Miami, they could have gone other places to make more money. I think, it's, I think it's great that we're seeing Lionel Messi go to places like Central America, not just here, but with the, the chance in CONCACAF I, Champions I think this Cup. is all money. Uh, I, I think it, by no means is, is El Salvador incapable of, of paying top dollar 
or the president of El Salvador for they actually had a sit down with Messi, the president of mm -hmm. El Salvador. I think this is all money, Seb. I think that's the reason they're going to go straight to Hong Kong after Dallas. I think that's the reason they're going to go to, you know, uh, Saudi Arabia after that. This is all money in some shape also, or form. Also, then you should be then you should be crushing Inter Miami for getting a guy hurt grabbing for money. Well. You can get hurt walking down the street. He didn't get hurt because they were in El Salvador. The play is Darwin Serin, uh, ex-Houston Dynamo player, who ends up trying to jump over him and puts a little bit of pressure bad on him. Bad tackle. It, bad tackle, right? I've, no, it's not, a, it's not a bad tackle. What I'm saying is it's a freak accident. That could happen mm. to anybody. And that's part of the game. Uh, but it doesn't mean we can't call it what it is. They're doing this preseason tour for money, not out of the kindness of their heart. So Inter-Miami, two games... Uh, into their preseason, no wins, no goals, and one major injury to Facundo Farias. All right, let's move on to La Liga, specifically Real Betis, Her. We're at home on Sunday against Barcelona and paying tribute to Andres Guardado, of course, the 37-year-old Mexican, uh, is preparing a move to Leon in Liga MX after spending the last seven years with the La Liga club. Pretty uh, cool and emotional moments here, Her. It's Barcelona they're doing this tribute. Like, that's the other team is Barcelona. You can see the respect being showed there. It still blows my mind at what he achieved at Real Betis in such a short time. I mean, seven years ago, we were talking about him coming to Major League Soccer. He goes to Real Betis and becomes legendary. 200-plus appearances for Betis. That's more than any non-domestic player ever uh, in the club's history. He's got more seasons in European football than any other Mexican player ever. And, of course, at Betis, he won the 2022 Copa del Rey, where he actually converted a penalty uh, in the shootout in the final as they beat Valencia to lift the trophy. So at Betis, it's goodbye, Andres. Hello, Johnny. Johnny Cardoso, to be precise, the 22-year-old American midfielder, made his debut for Betis after coming over from Internacional in Brazil against Barcelona. He got the start, Herc, and played 73 minutes as Betis lost 4-2. Yeah, it's a tough loss. Uh, it's a good debut, 73 minutes, 37 touches, 96% passing. He missed only one pass. You know what the fans are calling Johnny Cardoso? The American fans, the U.S. Men's National fans? Mm. Remember Johnny Football? This yes. is Johnny Soccer. <laughs> Classic. Uh, Betis right now, ninth in the league. Next up for them, El Vasco Aguirre and Mallorca on Saturday. Real Betis out of the Copa del Rey, but the tournament continues on ESPN Plus quarterfinals. Celta de Vigo against Real Sociedad. So Luca de la Torres, Celta de Vigo against potentially Gio Reyna's next team. Coverage starts Tuesday, 3.25 p.m. Eastern time right here on ESPN Plus. guest here on Football Americas just announced her retirement from professional soccer last week. It's none other than Sam Mewis, longtime member of the U.S. Women's National Team and, of course, 
a World Cup champion back in 2019. Sam, great to have you on the show. How about that montage? Bring back some good memories or what? Oh my gosh, it was that was really fun to watch. I want a copy of it. <laughs> <laughs> Production, you heard her. Uh, first way to get Sam on our side now that she's going to be a member of the media. We got to get her a copy of that uh, of that montage of career highlights. I mentioned what's coming next for you, Sam, and I do want to discuss uh, kind of your new role in the media. But let's leave that for a little bit later in the interview because I feel like. A lot of folks don't maybe fully know the story of your retirement. A lot of fans have been waiting for years for you to get back on the field. Tell us kind of what finally led to this decision to walk away at the age of 31. Yeah, I think honestly, after about two, two and a half years of really just rehabbing my knee every day, it kind of became clear to me that my knee couldn't handle the impact that elite soccer requires. I've had a cartilage injury in my knee for uh, seven years now and actually feel really fortunate that I was able to play on it for as long as I did. So the decision to step away was really difficult and clearly it took me a really long time to accept. But um, overall, I think that just prioritizing my health as a person um, became really important to me. And I'm really sad to step away, but excited that I have something to look forward to. Well, we're excited to have you on this side of, of the river, if you will, for, for what's next. But I've got to ask you as a footballer, and I've been through these knee injuries, how much of that was the pressure? How much of that was maybe the relief of not having to do the, the rehab every single day? How much of it what do you think was, was regret of what could have been? What, what's going through your mind as you announce this retirement? Yeah, I think a little bit of everything. I mean, so much of it is gratitude um, for what I was able to accomplish and the teams I was able to able to play on, the people I was able to meet. But I think it's so clear how difficult it was because it took me so long. I went through some surgeries. Um, I talked to a dozen doctors and physical therapists and people who could have an opinion about how to fix this cartilage issue in my knee. and. It just took a lot of time and a lot of like acceptance that physically I was unable to return to the game at the level that would have been required. So um, a lot of mixed emotions, honestly, and um, a lot of conversations, long conversations with my family and, and close friends. It's it's been kind of a tough couple years. I'm curious about kind of your perspective, Sam, on the National Women's Soccer League, because you come into the league in 2015 and it's really like just a totally different world, you know, from, from what we know today. How have you seen the league change maybe uh, over the last eight or nine years that you've been around? Yeah, I think the league has grown so much. It's so exciting to see the game and the evolution of just the, the style of play, um, the level of the players coming in. There are so many talented young players coming straight into the league. Uh, I think that the experience of everybody who's involved in the league from the front offices um, to just the players um, we're hiring some really exciting coaches. We have some great international talent coming in and it's been so fun to watch and so fun to be a part of. Um, when I think back to my first professional contract in the NWSL, it looked so different than these contracts are looking now. And I'm so grateful to have been a part of the growth of this league. It's such an incredible showcase of women's soccer for everybody all over the globe to enjoy. Sam, bear with me for a second when we go back and after the 2019 win, which you were a massive part of, you were one of the best players in the world, you have this knee injury. Your injury coincides with the downfall, if you will, of the U.S. women's national team, the 2021 Olympics, the 2023 World Cup. How difficult was it for you just watching them struggle from afar? 
Yeah, well, I was a part of the 2021 Olympics and it was it was super difficult being there. I mean, I think that we obviously got bronze, which from the outside may appear like good, but it, it really wasn't up to our expectation, which was really tough to deal with. Um, and then, yeah, I, I did have to step away from the team. And I think overall, it's the results at the World Cup last year were such a huge testament to the growth of the game globally. And I will always have full faith in the U.S. Women's National Team. I'll always cheer for them. Um, of course, it was difficult to see them not do as well as they would have liked. But um, if anything is true about the national team, it's that they are resilient. And I know that they'll bounce back. And I'm really looking forward to seeing them play this summer at the Olympics. Sam, I'm doing some quick math. You said it's been seven years since your cartilage injury. I mean, that takes us back to 2017, which for me is really when you kind of first broke into the national team. I think 2017 was your first real great year. Obviously, 2019, you win the World Cup. As Herc said, you're a huge part of that. 2020, I think uh, you were U.S. Soccer Player of the Year. Where in your national team career did you feel like you were at the peak of your powers? Oh, man. I know it's so tough to say, especially knowing what I know now about my knee. Um, I think that kind of at the World Cup, I enjoyed my time there so much, but I still felt kind of like a baby. Like I was really young and was just so thrilled to be there and be on the field. Um, and then I think that maybe sometime in 2020, which is crazy to say with the pandemic um, into 2021, I was at Man City. I felt like I was playing really well. Um, and into the beginning of 2021, that continued. Um, and then, yeah, I think, unfortunately, I just had to step away and have this knee surgery and haven't really gotten back since. Sam, man, so many titles. We're seeing the, we're seeing the World Cup trophy. Let's not forget the NWSL success um, <laughs> as well. Three-time NWSL champion, I think four-time NWSL shield winner. Sam Uis has truly won it all. So despite the fact, Sam, you're hanging it up at 31, you got a full trophy cabinet. Now we got to figure out what are you going to do with your time? Right. So tell us a little bit um, about this position. You're joining the, the Men in Blazers Media Network. I'm very interested in the title, primarily because it's a much fancier title than the one they gave Hercules Gomez when they signed him up. <laughs> Editor-in-chief of the women's game, which is going to be the new women's soccer vertical over there at the Men in Blazers Media Network. So tell us a little bit about it, Sam. Yeah, I thought my title was just going to be podcast host, but they surprised me with that one. I was pretty excited. Um, I'm really excited about this. We just launched a whole new vertical. It's called the women's game. You can follow on all social media platforms. There's a newsletter. It's all over YouTube. Um, and you can listen wherever you get your podcast. But basically we want to cover the global game. We want to have coverage of the NWSL and the U S women's national team, but also club games that go on in Europe, champions league, international games, world tournaments. We really want to be the place to hear about and interact with women's football all over the world. Um, so I'm really excited about the opportunity. I'm so thankful that I have something so exciting, something that I'm so passionate about to step right into. Um, I just did an interview with Lucy Bronze today and I just light up when I do these interviews. I feel like I I'm so lucky that I have a second passion besides soccer. I never thought that that would happen. And I just really love it so much. So I'm really excited to share it with people who like the game and people who liked watching me play, I have something else to offer now too, which is cool. 
Yeah, I, I didn't think about that, Seb. You're absolutely right. Editor-in-chief does sound pretty cool. All right, let's put that editor-in-chief uh, <laughs> label to, to some good use. It, 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 I, I am my agent, so there i got to have go. an intervention here. All right, let's put those editor-in-chief skills to some good use. Uh, Gotham FC, uh, one, are you excited with what Gotham FC has done? Uh, Sebi has advocated that, that dynasties in sports are great, and especially in NWSL, they're a necessity. I'm curious. Do you think it's a good thing for the NWSL to have a dynasty like Gotham, or do you like the parody route that NWSL used to go with? Well, I, it's a little early to say dynasty. They did just win one so far. I am Gotham's number one fan now. All my friends are there. I'm really, really excited um, to watch Gotham play this year. They have Rose Lavelle, Emily Sonnet, Crystal Dunn. My best friend, Lynn Williams, is already there. So I'm like thrilled for them and can't wait to watch them. I think it's really exciting for the league to have a team like this. Um, I think it's definitely a positive thing, and I wouldn't be surprised. There's still going to be a lot of parity. The NWSL is a crazy league. You really never know what's going to happen, and any team can win on any given day. Um, I hope that Gotham continues to come out on top and creates that dynasty, but um, they have some work to do too, so we'll have to see. The NWSL is just really competitive. Sam, it's not just a crazy league because of the parody. It's a crazy league because some of the moves that we've been um, seeing of late. Actually, on a segment we did last week here on Football Americas, Herc and I were debating some of the big moves for U.S. Mm. Women's National Team players. Uh, we talked about Emily Fox making the jump overseas. She's going to Arsenal. I I'm, in, I'm in D.C. I'm a big Ashley Sanchez Ooh. slash Washington Spirit fan. So her going to your former team, North Carolina Courage, that's a big move. Uh, and, of course, you can't forget Mallory Swanson. She doesn't go anywhere but she signs a, a big money deal in Chicago with the Red Stars. As you see those moves, and I don't know if there's any others that kind of jump into your mind, which do you think are some of the most important uh, as it pertains to the U.S. team? Yeah, well, for somebody like Ashley Sanchez, I, I'm really excited for her. I think that obviously I had such success and such a great experience at the Courage that Anytime a younger player is going there, I think it's just going to be such a great environment. There really is a special culture there within the girls. Um, so I'm really, really excited for Ashley Sanchez. She's a uh, former UCLA Bruin just like me. So I have always kind of kept my eye on her and have been rooting for her. Um, I'm also really excited for Emily Fox. I think that my experience going to Man City when I did was really, really good for me as a player. Um, it got me outside my comfort zone. I learned so much from my teammates there. I got to play with these world-class players in a totally new league. So I can't wait to see what that does for her. I think that um, it shows me how much she wants to grow her game. She's willing to do something uh, that not everybody is doing. And I think it's really impressive. So I can't wait to see how she does there and, and how much it helps her game. Well, Sam, speaking of the Women's Super League, we know somebody else that's uh, just recently joined up over there. Of course, your <laughs> sister, Christy. We've got a segment here on the show called Run It Back, where we find usually Americans abroad, but generally kind of CONCACAF abroad, showing us their best. And she had an assist in her first WSL game over the weekend. I know it was a 4-3 loss against Spurs, but let's get some analysis here. What do we think of the assist? Oh my gosh, it's a classic Christy Mewis assist. Left foot, beautiful ball in, kind of from an awkward angle, honestly. You don't think of that spot for free kicks all the time, um, but I love the angle, I love the height on the ball, and she's clearly serving to an incredible target. Um, so obviously I'm just so thrilled for Christy. I'm so excited to see this here. It was her first game for West Ham. Um, she's just gotten over there, so just really excited for her. I know that she's wanted to play in the WSL for a long time, and so seeing her dreams come true is awesome.
Christy's finding out the differences between football in England and the NWSL. I, I'm curious, you spent time in Manchester City. What are some of those differences between the English game and the domestic game here for the NWSL? Yeah, I was actually just interviewing Lindsay Horan about something similar with her experience between the U.S. and France. I think the differences are small. It's not like black and white differences, but stereotypically, I'd say that the NWSL is really transition-based. Um, tons of incredible athletes, and the game is just really, really fast. And then I found when I played in the WSL in England for Man City that there was just a little bit more of an emphasis on tactics. Our tactics would change with each team we were facing. Um, we would talk so much about how much can we pass the ball around before we go forward. The technical level of the players was so incredible. I feel like just the systems that they have in England to develop players from a young age technically and with great tactical knowledge was super impressive. Um, so the leagues are a little bit different, um, but I wouldn't say it's as black and white different as sometimes people make it seem. Sam Mewis, there she is. Great to have you here on Football Americas and great to have you as uh, part of the media now. You can check out her work over at the Men in Blazers Media Network, The Women's Game. It's the new women's soccer vertical. Sam, congratulations on the retirement, on a great career, and on the move into the press. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Sam. Let's talk Liga Mekis, because we had a couple debuts for U.S. men's national team. We'll start with Kate Cowell, who came off the bench for Chivas on oh, Sunday night. No. The second half of a 1-0 loss against Tigres at El Volcán. The 20-year-old American midfielder replacing JJ Macias, actually, in the 63rd minute. And as you can see, was quite involved. Couldn't get on the score sheet as he ended up playing the last 27 minutes of regulation in Chivas' defeat. He wasn't the only debut, however. Also over the weekend, we got to see Brandon Vasquez make his debut for Rayados. Also, like Kate Cowell, coming off the bench. This is a 2-0 win over Santos on Sunday in Torreón. Vasquez entering the match in the 69th minute, replacing Maxi Mesa as Monterrey won for a second straight week to start the season. All right, Herc, a couple big signings. Which of these two U.S. men's national teamers do we think will have a bigger impact for their teams this season in the Yamekis? I'm going to go with Cade Cowell. Now, the term bigger impact, that could be for good or that could be for bad. And this is what encompasses Cade Cowell. Now, I thought his debut, his cameo, that 30-minute cameo was indicative of what Cade Cowell is. The good and the bad. Watch this right here. Beautiful play. Has a clean look on goal, should have done better. Uh, the very next play, he's got one that's trickling across the goal line. This one, watch him, he goes over the ball right here on empty net, should have done better. But then you see the Kate Cow, who doesn't let that affect him, beats players on the drill, beats players with pace, with physicality. He's very vertical, keeps going. He actually produced some plays where he put teammates in great scoring opportunities. It was the best and the worst of Cade Cowell all in 30 minutes. This is who Cade Cowell is, and he's 20 years old. He's going to impact the game for you at a much greater scale for Chivas than Brandon Vasquez will for Monterrey because of what Monterrey is, because of who Monterrey has in front of Brandon Vasquez, how much time Monterrey will give Brandon Vasquez. Brandon Vasquez isn't so much a necessity for Rayado. He's a very good mm. player, but he's not as much of a necessity as Cade Cowell is for Chivas. Chivas, the first half versus Tigres, played very, very well. 
but they were very blunt in front of goal. They had nobody to put the ball in the back of the net. Nobody to force the goalkeeper into actual saves, but they were very good. Second half starts, Degas starts taking over. They start doing what Degas does. They make it very difficult for Chivas, and Chivas look very lackluster. In comes Cade Cowell. That all changes. Every time he's on the ball, it's a 1v1 opportunity, and you're on the edge of your seat because you know how much pace this kid has, how electric he can be. But it's the decision-making in the final third, which I think he will get better at with age. So greater impact, Cade Cowell. And for those Chiva fans out there, take this with a grain of salt, good and bad, what I'm about to say. He reminds me, looking at Chivas, looking at him in a Chivas uniform, he reminds me of Omar Arellano. Do you remember him? El cabrito, Jesus Arellano. No, no, Omar. Oh, okay. Omar. How explosive, how electric he was, the great moments he gave you, but it was unfulfilled potential. He mm. reminds me of the good of Omar. Now, can he be the complete player that Omar never was? That will be the question that Fernando Gago is hoping to answer. Yeah, I mean, he's got to have a bigger impact just because if you look at the Rayales roster, they got more guys that, that they can slip in. I mean, Berterame is a big-time starting striker in Liga. Mekis already proven something that Brandon yeah. Vasquez is not. So I think just the opportunity to have a bigger impact is pretty Canales clearly Aguirre. Yeah, Cade yeah. Cowell. Um, I didn't watch the game. It was happening at the same time as uh, my Buffalo Bills were losing. Uh, but I did catch some of the highlights, and I, I think what I expected from Cade Cowell with Chivas is what you got, right? I've always thought of him as a physical presence in MLS. My assumption is, and this is based a little bit on kind of like a stereotype of what we think of both leagues, was that he would go down there and, and his physical qualities, which were important in MLS, would be even more noticeable uh, at the Liga Mekis level. And when you're talking about a team like Chivas, I think you see it even more. They need individual guys who can break teams down. I think Cade Cowell is that. So I think he's got an opportunity here to have a much bigger impact at Chivas. The one thing that's noteworthy here is the numbers are very different, right? What did Chivas pay? Four million? Four million. And, and Rayados paid a lot more, right? Yeah. They paid oh, double eight, with nine, that on. Yeah, almost double with that ten. Um, that would suggest that there's a lot more pressure on Brendan Vasquez. But actually, I don't know that I agree with that. Because I think of Cade Cowan, I think of what it is to be a big signing at Chivas and then to be a American, a U.S. men's national team big signing at Chivas. And you think about what's going on at Rayados. Brendan Vasquez has a quiet season. Are the fans going to bat an eyelash? If, if Cade Cowell has a bad season here, man, uh, to your point about impact being both negative or positive, I think he's under a lot more pressure than Vasquez well, as well, even though it's a much smaller number. Immediate more, immediately under more pressure because of the team under the microscope that is Chivas. The only one that's equatable would be America in Mexico, but there'll be plenty of pressure uh, for Brandon Vasquez. I just think that all depends on how the players in front of him are doing. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have... Germán Berterrame, who's not scoring goals, which I do not see that being a factor. Maxi Mesa, it looks like he's regained his touch. You have uh, Sergio Canales, who, who's doing well. You have uh, Aguirre, who's doing really well. Like, there may not even be a time, like we've seen these last two games, he actually debuted in a friendly against River Plate in Dallas at the Cotton Bowl. Uh, Brenton Vasquez, as of yet, has not been a factor because 
there, there hasn't been a need to. And quite frankly, in, in the time that he got on last night, he ha didn't have a chance. In the time he played against River Plate, he didn't have a chance on goal. So fans still don't have a reason to get on him. Kate Cowell's got a reason. Kate Cowell, immediately after this game, he turned on Football Picante, and it's, you know, today, Pietra Santa talking about the chances that the American Kate Cowell missed. Mm -hmm. You have Mauricio uh, Imai, a correspondent for ESPN Mexico, and his tweet yesterday was, El gringo, Kate Cowell, the, the American Kate Cowell, misses two golden opportunities for Chivas, and they, they end up losing the game. So there's going to be immediate pressure on Cade Cow like he's never experienced before. So the good and the bad will be on display. Let me tell you something really quickly about Cade Cow. You highlighted the physical attributes. I, a long time ago, tweeted a picture of Cade Cow when he was in high school at 16 years old and me in high school at 16. And it looks like a little kid standing to a full-grown man. This kid is a physical specimen. But here is something that I noticed last night. Yes, he looks physically different than his counterparts at his age in Mexico, but he also looks mentally different. He misses two blank, two very good point blank chances at goal. And mentally, give me the ball, give me the ball. I want it again. And he's running at guys every single time he has the ball. Mentally, he's a little different. I will take the shortcomings that he has in front of uh, the net or in the final third. Uh, let him learn that at 20 years of age, but mentally he's already ahead. There we have it. A couple of big debuts in Liga Mekis, Brendan Vasquez for Rayados and Cade Cowell for Chivas. Let's keep the focus on Mexican soccer. Rayados specifically as Gerardo Arteaga is coming back home to Mexico. Uh, the Mexican international defender is set to join Rayados after, what, five years in the Belgian League with Gank. The reported fee is 4.5 million euros. Herc, uh, what do you make of this? Something, nothing, or everything from an L3 perspective? Everything. <laughs> You're trying to tell me that for years, everybody and their mother has been trying to get Gerardo Arteaga to overtake... Jesus Gallardo on the Mexican mm -hmm. national team. And when he comes back to Mexico mm -hmm. at the club level, he comes back to be Jesus Gallardo's backup at Monterrey? Like, what are you doing here? You think that's the case? You think they spent 4.5 million euros for a backup? Yes. For a left back backup? Yes, for the future. Right now he's a backup. He's not moving. If he couldn't move Jesus Gallardo on the national team, he's going to do it. Nah, with that's Rayados? because of Tata Martino. Okay, what's it going to happen when it doesn't happen with Tan Ortiz? What's the excuse going to be then? Because we keep Another making bad excuses. Manager. We keep making excuses for these players, Seb. At one point, is it? What's up with the mentality? You're at a world feeder like Genk, and you decide to go to Rayados. Hold on a second. At, Hold at on point, a second. At what point is it on the player, Seb? Because, no, no. One second. Let me finish for a second because. Right now, it's Gerardo Arteaga, the talented left back, who's going back to Liga Mekis. There's, there's, there's a player right now. Mm -hmm. Campos, the left-footed back. Omar okay? Campos. Omar yes. Campos, the left-footed back, who plays for Santos. Mm -hmm. Who Santos rejected bids in Spain, rejected bids in Belgium. Tell him where he's rejected going. Rejected bids around the world. And now we're hearing he's going to LAFC. At what point is this on the players? Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm all for blaming management. I'm all for saying the system is bad, down with the man, fine. At what point is it on the players? Mm. Nobody's forcing Gerardo Arteaga to go be the uh, Jesus Gallardo's backup at Rayados. Rayados has money, Tigres has money, and we've seen this movie before. They will spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on backups. Brandon Vasquez right now, that eight, nine million dollars, do you think that's anything to Rayados? 
No, no. and he's like the third choice right now. They have the money, so this is more on the player. Mm. See, to me, it's not everything because Gerardo Arteaga is not that big a deal. This is not Carlos oh, Vela wow. leaving Real Sociedad wow. to come back at 28, 29 in his prime, who's a big part of the national team just before a World Cup. This is not everything, but it is, it is something significant. Here's where I differ with you on Arteaga. I think of all the guys who we could criticize He's like at the bottom of the list. This is a guy who went to Belgium. He stayed five years. He made it very clear he wanted to go everywhere. You can, you can question, Herc, his ability, but you can't question his mentality to stay in Europe. He wanted to stay in Europe. I don't think there were offers anywhere else. I don't think there was anywhere else he could go. We saw him linked to clubs in England. We saw him linked to clubs in Germany. What happened? He goes to the World Cup. Tata Martino decides not to play him. He goes Why? back to gang. Why? He said he said he wanted he said he said he wanted opportunities. We've, we've been talking about him potentially going back to Club America for months. This guy waited as long as humanly possible to find something in Europe after he'd already spent half a decade there. And you're going to criticize him? I think he had no Shame other choice. Shame on you. Shame on you. You know who waited as long as humanly possible? Andres Guardado. That, that, that's what you do if you want Andres to make Guardado a goal. had chances and opportunities to stay in Europe. It's very clear. The European no, market said, no, we don't no, want Gerardo Arteaga. No. If you want to tell me he's players, a terrible player, there are I'll listen to you. Can go but to you Europe, can't question the mentality. But you got to lower your standard. you got to lower your wage bill. That's what it comes down to here. There's a higher wage More bill than at Belgium America or, and at Rayados. Where do you want him to play? Estonia? You think that's where you go from Belgium? You go to Estonia. From a top team in Genk, you go to Estonia. That's what you're trying to tell us. I'm telling you're you giving clearly the, excuse. the next move wasn't there for him. You didn't explain why he didn't play for Tata Martino. When he had a chance to go to the Olympics, what did he want to do? Oh, my gosh. Take oh, a vacation? So, so now, we're, now we're applauding Tata Martino for holding a grudge for two years? No, but stop. Come on, stop. man. Get out of but here. Seb, Seb, you're saying this is not everything because it's not Carlos Vela. How many players does Mexico, does the pool have in Europe? I didn't say it was nothing. It's significant, but right now you're telling me Look he's not even trend, better than Gallardo. This is, this is a player that you've been begging, that I've been begging to be the Mexican national team starter for years, for years, and he can't be Jesus Gallardo. And what does he do after he can't be Jesus Gallardo? He goes as the backup to Jesus Gallardo at Rayados? Come nah, on, Sam. Come on, man. Come on, Come Seb. on. I want you to scream like this when come Diego Lainez comes back. You got to scream like this when Marcelo Flores comes back. You can't scream when a guy did it for five years. El campeón Diego Lainez. Ah, okay. Um, all right, well, let's uh, remind folks, there's a uh, Bundesliga here on ESPN Plus, the defending champions many times over. Bayern Munich looking up the table right now uh, at Bayer Leverkusen. They're facing Union Berlin Wednesday, 2.25 p.m. Eastern Time, 11.25 in the morning Pacific right here on ESPN Plus. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. For Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebastian Salazar. We will be back on Thursday with a special interview, Joey Batista. Um, if you're thinking he's a baseball guy, he is. Joey Bats? But now he's a soccer owner. Joey Bats uh, involved with the Las Vegas Lights. So we'll talk some pro-rel, I'm sure, with him potentially in USL. Also on Thursday, Herc, it's a day we all wait for. NWSL schedule release day. So we'll be uh, looking over that uh, as well as we get set for the start of the NWSL season not too far from now. That's it for us. He's Herc. I'm Seb. Thanks for watching. We'll see you in 72 hours right back here on ESPN+.